0: What do you do when your world falls apart and you don't know where to turn? We're going to talk about that and so much more on this week's edition of the Monday Christian Podcast.
1: Listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now,
0: here's your host, Ezra Bayer. Well, hey there, thanks again for taking some time to check out the Monday Christian Podcast. I appreciate it and appreciate your support. As I mentioned on last week's episode, if you listen to this podcast on a regular basis and you enjoy the content, I would just encourage you in the show notes below, I've got a link that you can click and you can become a monthly subscriber where you uh, help us out financially. Maybe it's a $1 a month gift, a $5, $15 a month donation. That just goes a long way in covering some of the costs that are associated with this and kind of allows me to keep doing this and, and booking guests and All of the stuff that comes with making the Monday Christian the Monday Christian. Anyways, on this week's edition of the Monday Christian podcast, I have my good friend Mark Cravens, who was also my professor in college. A number of years ago, about a decade plus, he went through a time in his life where, as he would describe, the wheels kind of came off. And he describes not only what happened then, but his recovery since that point and how he's involved in full-time ministry this day. And how that's given him such a different perspective on life. And so, if you're in a place right now where maybe the wheels have come off in your life or they're about to come off and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to turn, this is a podcast for you. I think you're really going to appreciate what Pastor Mark has to share. And uh, so, without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this week's edition of the Monday Christian Podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to have my friend Pastor Mark Cravens on the podcast this week. Pastor Mark, thank you for coming on.
1: Thank you, Ezra. It's a joy to be here on your podcast today. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Well, for those of that don't know you, you pastor Kenwood Bible Methodist Church uh, out there in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I lived for about seven years, great, uh, great area of the country, and uh, you were one of my professors in college. And uh, one of the best, and you taught me so much about the practical side of ministry, and so indebted to you for that. Recently, you launched a podcast uh, called Hope Along the Journey. And by the way, just a shameless little plug, um, because you know, and you're not even paying me to do this. So I, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do it anyways. Um go ahead and, and, and check it out and leave a review. That's the way when you're starting a new podcast, that's how you get some traction. So um do me a favor, check out Hope Along the Journey. And if you like it, uh leave a five star review and uh if you don't like it then uh don't leave a review at all. So, (laughs) Pastor Mark, thank 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 you you for coming on. Appreciate that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, it was a joy to have you in in school. You were definitely a a great student and I enjoyed having you in my classes and and it encourages me to know that you feel like you got something out of them. So, (laughs) because teachers always wonder, you know, is anybody getting anything out of this or am I just, you know, am I wasting my time? So I appreciate your kind words.
0: Well, it's often ironic because well, I, th- I appreciate you saying that. I was I was at least an, a decent student. Uh, I remember doing so. Some of you Bible college people will know there's this class called Pentateuch. I took I took it, and you have to write these three major papers. Now you didn't teach this class, but this shows you the level of um, a scholarly uh, prowess that I had. Um, first one uh, an F. Second paper an F, and the third one uh, I think it was a D minus um, with the a circle with the words mercy and exclamation, exclamation marks. <laughs> and the ironic part now is, is I do writing a uh, full time for a living and, uh-huh. and uh, I send my work, my, I just sent my latest manuscript to that very professor to proofread. And so it's like, it's, it's a very, um yeah, it's, it's a very funny, funny world.
1: Yeah. It is amazing how <laughs> things can come back full circle like that, you know, <laughs> Uh, which gives all of us, I guess, a great sense of hope sometimes, doesn't
0: it? (laughs) Yeah, I'd I'd hope so. Well, you've been a pastor for over 20 years, and I've learned so many things along the way, but I just want to go back in time. How did you first come to faith in Christ?
1: Oh, wow, that was—I was 17 years of age. I was uh, a senior. I would graduated, just had graduated. I graduated a year early from high school, and so I was kind of at a crossroads in life, and I knew that I really needed to get settled spiritually because I had this, uh, when I was about 11, 12 years old, I started feeling this sense that God was calling me to ministry. But in my teen years, and you're going to find this funny, but in my teen years, I began to be very drawn to radio broadcasting. And I wanted to be a radio broadcaster. I mean, I listened to to AM radio broadcasters that became legitimate, they became legends, but I would listen to them by the hour as a boy and would try to mimic their voices, and that's what I just thought somehow that's what I wanted to be and do in life was to be a broadcaster, but God had other plans, and there was that struggle, and then at 17, I just came to that crossroads where I knew if I was going to go down that other path, it would lead to a lot of heartache, and if I went the path God wanted. Uh, that's the path I needed to take, and so it's seventeen. I just, I
0: just got to pause you there just for a second before yeah. you move move along. My next question, I, I, I usually I send my guests a list of you know seven or eight questions just that right. I say will guide the conversation. But then I go back in and I put the real questions, right, <laughs> yeah. the ones that you don't have time to prepare for. And, oh, and so my fine. one of my next questions was, was going to be why aren't you a voiceover artist, right? Why Why aren't you doing... And, and literally, my thought was, you know... Yeah. Okay, so so you just need to pause right here because you have one of the best radio voices, I think, that I've heard. Um, and indulge me for a moment. Can, can you just say, like, batting second baseman for the Cincinnati Reds?
1: <laughs> say that, right? And batting second baseman for the Cincinnati Reds <laughs> is Ezra Byer. Yeah. Well, was thank okay. you. Yeah,
0: yeah. See, that's exactly yeah and, and your podcast is so easy to listen to for, for that reason so it's very soothing so thank you <laughs> well
1: thank you but, but that was my dream and mm. just ironically my very first pastorate I was allowed to have a radio broadcast so oh, you know God yeah. has a funny yeah. way of helping us scratch the itch sometimes in life you know so
0: so picking <laughs> up 717 you didn't go that route but you went another route
1: that's yes, right. So at 17, I went to remember it was a Monday night and I went forward in a camp meeting service and gave my life to Christ and settled the call to preach that very night. And I remember when I went home. This is funny. You might not find this humorous. I went home and I told my parents that I had gotten saved and then I was called to preach. And I remember my dad broke down. He was crying so hard he couldn't even talk. They were both still awake, sitting up in bed reading. And finally, my mom said, she said, well, you know, your dad said a couple weeks ago that he thought you were going to be a preacher. But I told your daddy of all the boys we have, Mark's the last one that would ever be a preacher. It's "It's great to have a mom, you know, that really believes in you. But I'll never forget her saying that. And um, so, you know, it was kind of shocked her. I think it shocked a lot of people that I had decided that that's what I want to do, because I believe that's what God wanted me to do, is become a preacher and a pastor.
0: It's so funny. I, several podcasts ago, I had Daniel M. on the podcast, and he's he's a great writer, and then he's a pastor out in Western Canada, up in Edmonton, Alberta, and pastor's a large church up there, and, and he shares, coming from a Korean background, um, that his... <laughs> he struggled with becoming a pastor and finally got up the nerve to talk to his parents and they both looked at each other and they and, and, cuz they had always told him you're going to be a doctor you're going to be a doctor right yeah. and and so finally he told him that he wanted to be a pastor and his mom began to cry and she was like we always knew you would be a pastor but we always hoped it would be after you became a doctor
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you know part of the problem was that i could never get up front and talk mm. and Everybody knew that. Really? I, worst moments in life was when you had to get up in class and give an oral report. I hated really? to get up and speak. And I would sweat and stutter and stammer and generally end up humiliating myself. Um, so it was a huge hurdle for me to to make that step of faith and just step out and, well, this is what God wants me to do, whatever comes of it, that's what comes of it, but yeah, so that was kind of a hesitancy, and that's why I think my mother especially was extremely shocked.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So, obviously, you, you, you stuck with it for a number of years. Why—what So what were the biggest things that you learned in pastoring early on? For someone that is not connected to, to that world— um, yeah. What, what, was the, what were the biggest eye-opening things, especially, let's say, 10 or 15 years yeah. into the process, that you were like, wow, this is, this is a very different profession than anything else?
1: I think one of the things that I learned was that, and it's really been a life changer for me, especially in the last few years, I came to realize that if you're going to be a good pastor, preaching skills are great. But listening skills are even better. Hmm. And I came to the realization that sometimes the greatest impact I made in people's lives, and sometimes it takes, Ezra, years for you to figure this out, it was not what you said in the pulpit. It was the conversations you had with people uh, riding in a vehicle, maybe out deer hunting on a golf course or sitting in a coffee shop. And I have had so many people after years later come back to me and said, I remember when you said this to me. And that that changed my life. Mm -hmm. I had a professor in college when I took my master's degree 15 years ago when I got my first master's degree. Uh, Dr. David Rodcup, made a made a great impression on my life. But he said this statement. He said, we impress people at a distance. We impact people up close. And so he said, you need to make a choice in your ministry. Do you want to impress people or do you want to impact people? Hmm. And that was eye opener for me, especially. I think a lot of pastors starting out are so worried about sermons and getting sermons together and getting Bible studies together and the curriculum aspect. And that is important. But for a pastor, it those vital conversations Those moments when, you know, God ordains that conversation like Jesus with the woman at the well that are really oftentimes the most life-changing things that you do as a pastor. That, to me, was probably one of the most eye-opening things that I came to
0: learn as a pastor. Most embarrassing moment as a pastor in your first uh, 10 years. (laughs) Again, these are the after questions. You don't get these before. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, I mean, do I talk about my bloopers? Do I talk about, I mean, is it okay to say anything here, you know?
0: Oh, yeah, you it's, know, it's I, just between me and you and, and a, few, a couple of hundred other people, so.
1: Oh, oh thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. Blood yeah. is it's that way. Um, <laughs> one thing was, um, when I got up in church to announce that my wife was going to have our of course, you know, a lot of people don't know, but we have two sets of twin daughters. So like Noah's Ark, our children all came two by two. That's how they came. <laughs> and yeah, and sometimes it really was a zoo. But so I was so excited, young pastor, first church, and I, want, I, was, I, and I wanted to somehow make this such a cool announcement to my little church there in Alabama that we were going to have twins that I said, and I'll never forget, I said this and never thought anything about it till it was too late. I said, well, folks, we've been to the doctor, and we found out that my wife has both barrels loaded. Well, you know, I, I, the moment I said that, Ezra, was the moment that I, I mean, in that moment, I knew I had just said the wrong thing. And the crowd, it was a mixture of horror. People were horrified. Old ladies were like, oh, and, and. Hysterical laughter, and it was just <laughs> one of those moments when I just wanted to go under the carpet. You know, that had to be one of my most embarrassing moments yeah. in pastoring. Um, and there have been there have been many other bloopers that I've made, but that was that was definitely one of the most embarrassing things I've
0: done. So interesting. Have you read Eugene uh, Peterson's book, uh, memoir on pastor or something like that, something of that nature? A couple years ago. Um, he wrote this book on pastoring, and it's just so so fascinating reflecting <laughs> on a life of pastoring and how, how, how um, you know, just the tricky dynamics of it, but then also just the, the amazing, um, the joys that it brings, and uh, it's, it's very fascinating. Well, you um, know, it's
1: funny, my first pastor, I, let me just tell this real quick, talking about, you know, my first pastor, I went down south to pastor, and I didn't know that they didn't really like Yankees down there. I got a 16 to 11 vote and thought that – and I I didn't realize that was a bad vote. I thought if I got the majority, you win. So I went there and passed her, you. know, it's like a, a baseball game. Yeah, and I'll never forget one guy came up and put his finger under my nose and said, Yankee preacher, you remember one thing. Lee surrendered, but we didn't. And I never I never forgot that. You know, it was just like it was an eye-opener that I had arrived way down south in, in Dixieland. But they were great people, and, and it was a great pastor. But, yeah, the stories pastors can tell are incredible.
0: Let's fast forward. So uh, in your podcast that you do, I Hope Along the Journey, you share how several years ago things changed for you. Walk us through that. What happened? Yeah, well,
1: y- you know— let me let me say this thing. When the wheels of your life come off like they came off in my life, as you look back, you begin to realize that it didn't happen overnight. It was a slow erosion process in your life. One of the one of the huge mistakes I made as as a pastor was that in looking out for others, I like Paul said to Timothy, take heed to yourself. I really didn't take care of myself I didn't take care of myself physically I didn't take care of myself emotionally um and as a result I didn't take care of myself spiritually as I should and you just kind of it's kind of like a a pitcher that gets an injury but he just keeps on pitching and he the batters just keep on knocking the ball out of the park on him and it's and then it weighs on him emotionally then he loses his confidence and then he's second-guessing and, and then I hit midlife, and boy, you know, I used to think midlife crisis, that stuff was for the weak and the frail. Not me, I'd never have any midlife issues. And then, you know, midlife comes, and you start the reevaluation process, and the second guessing of everything in your life. And, and, I, and I battled off and on through the years, um, and this is something I've told publicly, I've battled uh, severe depression off and on across the years. It's not something that most of the time my churches even knew anything about. But, you know, I would be on for short term time on antidepressants. And then I developed um, diabetes, at, you know, a few years ago. And and all of that was, you know, it's just. And so what happened was I was running on empty. That's what I was doing as leading on empty and running on empty. It's, it's kind of like driving your car when the when the warning lights are on. And yet you just keep on driving somehow thinking that the lights will go back off. But, um, my marriage was in jeopardy. Um, and yet we kept on because, you know, we had four kids and we were trying to raise them. So what I'm trying to say is it just, it was, it was, as my counselor, who I went to years ago said, said, Mark, your life was like the perfect storm. It wasn't a matter of, if it was going to happen, it was a matter of at what point was it going to happen? And there came a point when it happened and you know I, I say this with a great deal of shame and regret and embarrassment but you know it came a point where i was no longer able to be in the ministry and i knew it and i knew i needed to come forward i needed to acknowledge my faults my sins i need to acknowledge that and so i stepped forward i acknowledged it i publicly confessed it and i immediately my wife and i got into counseling but that that was such. That was when the wheels came off, and my whole life i, I lost everything. I lost my identity. I, I lost. I'd been a pastor, church leader. I, all of that was gone, and overnight, I didn't know who I was anymore. And you, uh, you
0: know, it's 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 interesting as you're sharing that that for people that have not pastored, it can be a very isolating. World, because you are. I was explaining, trying to explain this too. So I, I'm doing some work with uh, medical clients and writing articles in the medical industry, and what is very fascinating, depression and burnout actually are very high uh, among physicians these days. And I was kind of surprised at the levels as, as I was doing some more research on this for for the, with this client. And and but what's interesting to me is when you're a doctor and you struggle with this. You can still go to work. You can compartmentalize a little bit. Okay, there's right. home, but when you're a pastor, everything ties together, doesn't it?
1: Yes, it does. It, it all ties together because you, know, you can be a plumber and the other portion of your life fall apart and you can still be a plumber. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when you start running on fumes and running on empty, and you know, literally, and, and again, this, there were many nights when I found myself. Literally crying myself to sleep, so Mm -hmm. depressed, so lonely. And then, you know, Satan has a way of once he gets you, then comes the shame. And I think probably that's one of the most horrible things, especially for men, and of all men, men in ministry to deal with, is you're trying to pastor, you're trying to do the work of God, and yet you've got this horrible load of guilt and shame, and what do you do with it? Mm. Where do you go? How do you... You know, how do you break the power of the secret? Because until you break the power of the secret, there can be no healing. And, and I knew, but it's like, who do you turn to and where do you go? And and my heart goes out to pastors because who pastors the pastor? And for the pastor oftentimes to come forward and admit that he's broken and he needs to rebuild his broken life from the inside out all over again, it also means that his outer world collapses too. Hmm. loss of and I think that's one reason why sometimes pastors just keep on playing, you know, when they're when they shouldn't be trying to play in the game anymore, because if I do, I'll lose my job, I'll lose my home, I'll lose my income, I'll lose respect of everybody. And for pastors it can be it can really be a a trap that Satan holds them in that keeps them from taking the next step of breaking the secret. And then finding the healing that their soul needs.
0: Well, and unfortunately, as is often the case in the Christian world, we tend—I was say—especially in Western culture, we tend to be slow to give second chances. Where it's almost like you often get one shot, and you think—I think of like several megachurch pastors. Obviously, some of them have done some, some bad stuff, and they haven't really shown remorse. But but some genuinely, I think, have. As I've kind of dug behind the scenes a little bit, um, and and but still, there's kind of. Sometimes there's that that desire to kind of want to say, well, no, okay, they had their shot, and now it's like, and, and I think that it would just when I think of scripture, and I yeah. think it's just it's just completely contrary to, to all the stories that I read. In that, um, I want to dig a little bit in, into this. You, see, you mentioned mentioned depression. I, the reason I'm curious, I just finished um, a book on this subject um, and submitting it to uh, my editor this week that deals heavily with this whole whole thing of depression. And one of the books that was helpful for me, because I've shared openly how I've struggled with that as well, uh, Johan Hari's book, it's a totally secular book, but on on lost connections. And he says, he says, there's kind of nine reasons. And just take a sec, but I want to read these real quick, because I want to get your feedback. Um, He he says, there's often nine reasons we fall into depression. One is um, disconnection from meaningful work. One's uh, disconnection from other people. Disconnection from uh, meaningful values. uh, Disconnection from childhood trauma that we don't address. Disconnection from lack of status and respect. um, Disconnection from the natural world. So we're kind of isolated in a concrete jungle. um, Disconnection from lack of hope. Hope for the future, or or a secure future, and then he gets into the last two disconnections, which is more about genetics and and brain changes that that happen over time. And, and kind of so, my point with all of that is that oftentimes when we think of say like a, you mentioned the term depression, if someone hasn't struggled with that, uh, there can often be kind of a one size fits. But often, and we think, okay, if they would just do this, that, then maybe that. But oftentimes, it's multifaceted, isn't it? So I, I'm just curious oh. your take on that. What, what did that look like for you? What were some of the ways that you battled through that and out of that?
1: Uh, that's, that's a great question. You know, as you went down that list, I'm thinking, well, I think I had about five of those, you know, I can see where that disconnection was. Um, but of course, sometimes it's, I, I, I think there is a point and there is a time and a place for for medicine and for for doctor's intervention i, I honestly believe that and in fact I, I think that too long in the community in which i grew up especially you know there was this idea that if you re, if you know if you really were sincere christian you could throw all your antidepressants away well mm-hmm. i'm just telling you there are some people that that are clinically depressed and to, in some people it's an inherited thing that runs in families i mean mm-hmm. you just see it so uh, for me, I would go on medicines during that time and battle through it. Um, sometimes there was even a time or two when I made, you know, a change from a church to a church because uh, I was depressed. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, you know, if I go somewhere else, get a fresh start, that new start will will help me to kind of be reignited again in ministry. Interesting. Um, And I see that and I look back and I think there was at least one or two times when I made a transition, especially one time in my life, when I look back that if I'd had some real help, somebody helped walk me through it and understand what was really going on, I probably should have stayed where I was at that time pastoring. Hmm. But, you know, God was good and, you know, and blessed me as I wherever I went. and, And so but, yeah. I don't know that I I didn't deal with every aspect of it. I would deal with it enough to get better, but I never really dealt with it enough to get to the root and get well. Um, Strangely enough, from that time, numbers of years ago when the wheels came off in my life, I have not had to be on any antidepressants and I have not battled chronic depression since that time. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. Why why do you think that is? I think because, well, I went to counseling. I -hmm. went to a a great professional Christian counselor. And he helped me, I'll never forget, he said to me words like this quite often. He said, Mark, he said, what you're telling me, it doesn't excuse anything, but it sure does explain everything. Hmm. And that phrase really kind of took hold of me. It doesn't excuse anything, but it sure does explain everything. And like I said, he you know, he told me again that, like I said earlier, that that phrase was it wasn't a matter of if it was going to happen. It was just a matter in your life of when, Hmm. because so many things, even from childhood, other things in my life that I just hadn't pushed aside. I hadn't dealt with those things. Hmm. Um, Hurts from the past, uh, hurts in the ministry. I was playing a hurt and never really allowed myself to, to grieve or mourn the losses or the pain. Just just suck it up and go on, you know. Just take your licking and keep on ticking, you know. And, it's,
0: it's interesting, Carrie Newhoff shares that uh, ministry, often being a ministry, is like a series of ungrieved losses. And that's, it that's is. stuck with me, yeah.
1: Ezra, I just sat down recently with a pastor and, had a very deep conversation and one of the things that came out of that conversation that surfaced was he was dealing with a lot of grief and loss in ministry and had never given himself permission to really grieve because he had to be strong for his wife, be strong for his family, he had felt like he had to put on a strong face, and yet what had happened to him in ministry would have left anyone broken and grieving. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, we we pastors, and, and I think we men in general have a little of this problem. It's like if we give ourselves permission to grieve, it's it's a sign of weakness or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I one of the things that happened through this, if it's okay to go ahead and say this, was, you know, for me, when the secret was broken and the mask came off, it was so, and you're going to find this maybe hard to believe, maybe you won't, but to be... To be who I was and to have no facade was so freeing for me.
0: That's um, what I was going to ask you. Yeah,
1: yeah, interesting. It was freeing to be broken and everybody knew I was broken and it's okay to say I'm broken. Now, I wasn't going to stay that way and that God has something better than just leaving us broken. But it was so, it was so relieving for me. To be able to finally come to a point where I could say, something's been wrong in me for a long time, and I have put it off for a long time, but now for the first time, I'm going to try to find out what's really down there that needs God's deep work in my heart, and I need guidance, and I need direction, and I need time to heal those wounds, and and again, it was a process. It was nothing overnight, but there was something very freeing and being able to come. um, And you know what, Deser, not everybody is able to handle that. I have some, some people that I call dear friends even today, but they have never been able to reconnect with me since that time because they don't know what to do with me because they're uncomfortable with the fact that I would even talk to you on this Mm -hmm. about that. I would, that I would ever bring it up or that I would ever share. But, you know, to me, there's so many people out there like me. I know there are so many out there that if, you know, if my if my story or my voice can give them any sense of hope, you know, that's why I want. Because I remember what it was like to feel like the hope was gone. Mm. And the light at the end of the tunnel was just an oncoming train. Mm. I remember those days and I'm glad those days are behind me.
0: Before we move on to how you recovered a uh, darkest moment during that, that time.
1: Yeah. You know, I, again, I, I think, you know, one of the darkest moments during that time was, was feeling like I would never do again what I, what I had always enjoyed doing. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I found myself unemployed and when I applied for, I, my wife could testify. I applied for over a hundred jobs. And I was either underqualified or overqualified. Nobody would hire me. I didn't either. Didn't have the right education, or I had too much education. And they knew. I. They kept saying, "Well, you with all this in your background, you'll never stay with us. You'll go back to
0: that." Yeah.
1: Well, how would I explain to them? You know.
0: Yeah.
1: And I remember when I boxed up my sermons, and that was a sad day when I boxed all my sermons up and and I put them in a bag, and then I stuck them in a. A cardboard box and wrote sermons on the lid of that pasteboard box and shoved him in an attic. And I just knew when I shoved him in the attic that day, I would never pull that box out again. I just knew I would never do that again. Others people said, oh yeah, you'll preach again one of these days. You'll pastor again. You'll teach again. It's just a matter of, you know, give yourself three or four years. You'll be back doing this again. But but that was probably one of the darkest times when I boxed all those sermons up and put all those away and labeled the box and shoved it in the attic and said, I'll never pull them out again. Hmm. That was a dark day.
0: What impact did that have on, you you mentioned your marriage, what impact did this have on your wife, kids during this time?
1: Well, yeah, that, that's, man, I tell you what, that's a story in itself, but well, the first the first thing I did was, uh, of course, was when we got Teresa and I had talked about this for a couple of months before I actually decided to make the choice and step out of the ministry. And so this was a mutual agreement that this is what we needed to do. And she was wonderful and stood with me. And we both went through counseling. My wife, um, my wife and her story is a whole another story. But, I, you know, my wife had some issues in her background and there were things in her life that really needed healing and to be unpackaged from and we both were we both were limping through marriage very hurt mm-hmm. and neither one of us knowing how to heal ourselves mm-hmm. so uh, you know we went to counseling it and it was the best thing we ever did and it turned around I mean it wasn't easy <laughs> There are times we left the counselor and we and we were screaming and yelling and fighting before we ever got home over, I can't believe you told him that. I can't believe you told him that. But then by the time we were home, we were okay and we realized, you know what, that was good. Yeah. That was good that we got that aired out. We finally were, you know, it enabled us to say the things that need to be said, not to hurt the other person, but mm. to finally let the other person know, this is what's really going on in me. This is... And it just shocked both of us how much hurt was bottled up in us from across the years. Not so much even the hurt of hurting one another, but just the compiled hurt, you know, the compounded grief and loss, especially in my life. Um, And today, my today, you know, we we understand each other, we talk, we communicate in, in so much deeper ways than we ever did at any point in our marriage, but. Yeah, God did a wonderful thing for us.
0: If someone's in a similar position that you were back that those number of years ago, decade plus years ago, um, what were some of the warning signs that you wish you had paid attention to that might be going off in someone's mind right now, but they're kind of pushing past them and saying it's going to be okay? What were, what were some of those signs that we need to watch out for in our own lives?
1: You're talking about me personally as far as what I, the warning signs in my own life you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a great question. I think one, this goes back to this matter of being disconnected. I thought that was a very key word because I felt, started feeling this disconnection. So I, you know, I had a lot of, I felt like I was very much alone. I started feeling this loneliness and, you know and when you start feeling loneliness you op that you start truly being lonely you open yourself up uh i you know i didn't have a lot of close male friends I, I didn't know who to talk to again being a pastor who who pastors the pastor and who do you talk to you know i opened up one time to my conference president and and you know i then afterwards i felt guilty and like maybe i mm-hmm. shouldn't have done that you know so i just kind of withdrew and it wasn't his fault it was just you know, I just felt like, well, I shouldn't burden him. And, you know, I need to just, again, just man up and and do it. Mm -hmm. So I think this, the feelings of loneliness are very important. I think ignoring, uh, health issues. You, again, when, when you start sensing that there are, there are health issues in your life. Um, when you feel alienated from your wife, when you Mm -hmm. start feeling like there's this wall between you and, uh you know and and we all know that you know that when that happens and we start feeling very alienated and it just feels like the distance is growing between us i i quit finding the joy and the satisfaction i used to have in doing what i always loved to do Hmm. it seemed like it never quite had the happiness and joy it once did i started second guessing my my calling um and, and then and this is sad but this often happens you start fantasizing about another life, you know, well, what if I had, what if I had gone in radio? What yeah. if I had chosen to do insurance? And you begin to think that maybe life would be better. And you begin to almost fantasize this other life secretly because yeah. the life that you're in seems so, so trapped and miserable and unhappy and, does that make any sense?
0: It, I think it explains why many people, I would say, so you talk about people, you know, there's been a lot that's written on like Netflix, for instance. Why do people watch Netflix and all that kind of stuff, okay? I don't, I don't know. I canceled Netflix with the whole controversy, sure, right? It makes sense to me. I've, I've watched lots of shows, okay? It makes sense to me why people watch a lot of programs, um, be, especially that, that are a way of escaping Because, Mm -hmm. And I I think that's very common, especially among people of my generation, is is you live in this world where you aren't happy with it. And so you say, okay, well, here's a world that – but you, you, as a pastor, and just, again, I'm speaking for people that aren't involved in the pastoring world, it's a very trapped feeling because you have a specific set of skills that you've developed over time and you've worked on. And it's not like okay, so you were in one line of medicine, now you're going to switch to a different branch. It's totally different. And that yeah. skill set doesn't typically apply to much else in life, as opposed, you know, there, there's very few, few things.
1: Yeah, I found out when I was looking for work that the only people who really wanted me were car dealerships and insurance agents. <laughs> Everybody wanted seriously.
0: Yeah, pastors are sense.
1: notorious. For being good insurance agents and being <laughs> good smart yeah,
0: salesmen, yeah.
1: because they have people skills. Yes, and they right. the total stranger can walk on the lot and they can talk to them. Yep. Um, but I, one more thing I want to say too is that I didn't mention, but is for me, and I think this happens too with a lot of pastors, is you start feeling anger. Hmm. Now again, I'm not making any excuse for anything, but I dealt with a lot of anger um and again some of that came back from the hurts the things that happened you know you pastor a church and in one year you might have four or five families just walk off and leave you yeah and, and kind of, they, they hurt and back years ago when that kind of thing would happen i would take it personal mm-hmm. and it just seemed like heap upon heap and hurt upon hurt and disappointment people you poured your life into um You know, and then they just they walk off and take a piece of your heart with them, and if you're not you're not careful, you start getting very angry. Mm -hmm. And my wife would talk to me and say, "Honey, you get," because I've always been a laid back personality, Mm -hmm. but I was I was easily angered, and just the fact she would tell me that made me even more angry. You know, but again, anger is a warning sign; something else is going on. You know, there, there's heat building up somewhere if you are finding yourself dealing with anger when normally you're not an angry person. I, I, and, I, and I think there are a lot of pastors who have have anger and they don't know what to do with it.
0: Hmm. Yeah. It's very common. Again, I mentioned to Kerry Newhoff, he wrote a book on uh, something along the lines of warning signs, his latest one, but he writes about nine or ten of them. And so many of those things that you, you just you, you run into and you don't you don't really see them coming. I am curious, how do you pastor differently today than before the time when the wheels came off? Like what what, yeah. are the, what are the what's the one or two things that you really notice differently in the way that you view people and interact with people and how you handle yourself like emotionally?
1: Well, that's that's very good. So, a couple of things that are different about today. Number one I think is I have a better understanding having worked through all of this i have a better understanding of the holistic nature of who we are Hmm. you cannot neglect one part of your life and the other parts of your life not suffer so if you if you don't take care of yourself physically if you don't take care of yourself emotionally if you don't take care of yourself spiritually you know you're gonna you're gonna start the other parts of your life and so Coming to understand that I could not, cannot just neglect one area of my life for any length of time, but what the others will be affected. Now, now I watch all of those, those dash lights very carefully, and when I start feeling one of those um, needing, you know, the oil needs changed. You know, the oil light comes on. It's like, okay, I need to put oil in.
0: Give an example of that.
1: Yeah. So examples. So if I start feeling stressed or really uptight, it's like, okay, let's take a step back. And I say, Mm -hmm. okay, what do I need to do? Well, I, maybe I need to get out and take a walk. I need to take a drive. I need to do something I enjoy. I need to go out and work in the yard. Um, and things that are de-stressors to help Mm me that. So because some of it is just physically, I need to do something to help reduce the stress in my life. Um, I mentioned earlier, too, I, you know, I'm a diabetic, and so I have found out that if I neglect what, if I don't watch what, what I eat and my sugar gets high, my family will tell me very quickly, you know, dad, your sugar's off. Because they notice that my personality starts changing and my moods start changing. And if I go much longer, I notice that something's different. And what's amazing to me is how much, and th- this will sound ridiculous, but how much better I feel spiritually and emotionally whenever I get off the sugars and get my sugar back under control. I feel better spiritually. I feel better emotionally. Mm-hmm. So I think that's been that's key to me. Spiritually, you know, I also am, am very much far more uh, disciplined in making sure that the inner world is nurtured. If I don't get everything else done. You know, I'm going to spend time with God, spend time in his word, and I'm learning more and more to just have to turn loose and let God have the things that are beyond my control. Um, and that's a discipline that I've had to learn, but it sure has relieved me of a whole lot of anxiety and self-inflicted pressure I put on myself when I, you know, I just had to stop being God. You know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah. Uh, and that's not easy too. Uh... You've always struck me as like a very empathetic person for you know for for others and your, your care for others. Um, how has how has the way that you've interacted with other people and the way that you view people and their problems and challenges? How has that changed?
1: Well, oh, it's I I think I probably always have been that way. I mean, when I've done spiritual gifts tests, I always score high in mercy, and you know I I'm always tend to be a a merciful person have been that way for many many years but after I went through all of this there is no question that my empathy and my sense of compassion for people has heightened tremendously and today I you know I look at people so very very differently and it and it it seems like it's I, and again, these are changes you're not ju- you don't just sit down and say, well, I'm going to be more empathetic or I'm going to be more compassionate. You just are hmm. because you've been there and you can identify and you uh, when somebody sits down and talks to you and, and their life has fallen apart or they have bombed out or they have crashed and burned, you know, I I, I I feel for them in a way I never could have because I've been there and I know what it's like. I know what it's like to deal with shame and regret and remorse. I know what it's like to feel like it's hopeless and there's never going to be a wonder. There's never going to be a good day in my life again. Hmm. And so it enables me to identify with people. I give people, I cut people a lot more slack. I'm a whole, I'm not near as critical as I used to be. Um, And, that it, it changes you. It really does change you. And and I I personally believe that by the grace of God it's changed me for the better in helping others.
0: What was the best thing that someone did for you during this uh, season? Wow, the best thing. Mo- the most was... la- the last the most best lasting thing, I guess, if I were to clarify that, yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. Um I think the thing that... Let's, let me say two things. First of all, let me think, tell you the thing that hurt the most was silence. Hmm. The people that had been my friends for years, as I went through a three, three and a half year building program, some of them I never heard from. Not a word. The silence was more painful than if they had sent me an email and said, I'm so disappointed in you. And I could have at least known that they acknowledged that there was something or that I had existed. Um, that was silent. But the most important moments of my life was when I sat down with, uh, and I don't think he'd have a problem me saying this, but shortly after it all happened, I sat down with Dr. Alan Brown. And I remember we were sitting in a coffee shop, drinking a cup of coffee. And he looked at me and he said these words to me. He said, Mark, and he had that... Alan Brown's smile on his face. He said, all of this tells me one thing. Thou art human. I'll never forget him saying that to me. You know, and I, because and I was ready for to be blasted, scolded. I really was because, you know, I was at a point where I thought, you know, I deserve this. I had worked for him. If anybody had a right to blast me and scold me, it would be him. But instead, he looked at me and said, it tells me. One thing, thou art human. And he said, Mark, you know what I believe? He said, I believe three years from now, you're going to be back in ministry. He said, because you're a good guy. You're a good guy. And you're going to do what's right. And you're going to be back in ministry. Hmm. That was one of the most powerful moments. The second moment was when I saw uh, Dr. James B. Keaton, who had growing up had been my pastor, my hero, my mentor, my Bible school president. And I was, and I cannot tell you how, Ezra, how embarrassed and humiliated I was to see these men knowing how much I had let them down. I just can't explain to you how awful that was. But the first time I saw him, he put his arms around me and he, he wept and he said, I want to tell you something, Mark. He said, Whatever may have happened, you're a good man. You're a good man. You may have done something bad, but you're a good man. Well, I mean, I tell you what, that those words were like words of prophecy to me. Because they came from men who weren't just saying it to put salve on a wound. They were saying it because that, deep, that was their deep conviction. They truly believed in me when I no longer believed in myself. They believed in me. Words are powerful things. Uh, I mean... The book of Proverbs, the book of James, reminds us how powerful our words can be. And they, those kind of words, just, just today, I saw where a dear friend of mine, Michael Hobbs, had passed away down to Sound, Florida. And I remember him sending me a lengthy message through uh, Facebook Messenger when it all took place, basically saying, you will preach again. This is not over. This is not the final chapter. I believe in you. And I'm just telling you, when people had faith in me and they could have hope for me when I couldn't find it, I've never forgotten. I've never forgotten.
0: It's, it's, yeah, everything you're saying connects. And since you mentioned Michael Hobbs, I was going to make a note of this as well. Honestly, I'd never talked to him, never heard from him. I think three days ago in my inbox, he wrote this. He said... I've been enjoying your interviews and the varied topics you're covering. I know our Father has called you to do this needed ministry and pray he will use it as another tool in reaching those who are seeking, searching for answers to the questions of life. May our Father guide you and bless uh, you throughout as you continue pursuing his heart for such a time as this. Never talked to him before. I don't know him. My, my wife knows him. And yeah. then I found out today uh, that he just passed away. Um, it's incredible what, a, what an encourager can do, isn't it?
1: It is, uh, you know. Thank God for the Barnabases. And hmm. There, you know, Paul was a great man, and but I tell you what, he wouldn't have got the first base had not Barnabas given him the right hand of fellowship. And, and you know, Barnabas was the guy that gave John Mark the second chance. I mean, those those people that have the ministry of encouragement are are so valuable in the kingdom because they're the ones who come alongside and, and give that. That golden word at just the right moment. Then, of Mm. course, for me, too, is my friend Monty. And if you haven't heard the podcast, you you know.
0: Yeah, it's the second one, right?
1: Yeah, it's this one, two. I think it's the second
0: one or no. Maybe the third Fourth one. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. But we talk about uh, how he gave me a note and just basically said, you know, I'm here for you. You know, I got your back. Uh, Call me. And I carried that for two years in my billfold and for nearly two years we met on a weekly and then every other week we still meet now once a month. Um, But just letting me sit there and pour my heart out to him and he postponed judgment. He didn't, you know, he didn't try to give me answers. He just listened to me while I rambled and cried. And um, I, I tell you what, it's, I do not believe, Ezra, that I would have been on the path back to where I am today had it not been there were key people who just who refused to let me go. They refused to let me be a has-been, um, and I, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. It's hard for us to understand grace on a vertical level until mm. we understood unconditional love and grace on a horizontal level. Because people showed me on this level, unconditional love and grace, I began to believe, well, if people like that could forgive me and love me and cheer me on for better days, then maybe maybe God can do that too. Hmm. Um, And my heart breaks for the people that don't have others in their life to show them that horizontal grace and unconditional love.
0: Speak to the person just as we wrap up. Um, they're listening to this. They're watching this, and they've kind of lived a, a double life. They're, um, you know, unbeknownst—well, known to their family, but not to others. They're drinking a, you know, six pack in the yeah. evenings. They're, you know, pretty abusive to their spells. They're hooked on porn. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're kind of, and they're at a place where they're saying, okay, I've got to do something, right? But again, they're weighing all those tensions of, okay, if I get help, I know it's going to cost me this. Like you said, I mean, a number of your friends just were silent and that's such a big cost that everyone weighs before making decisions. So what would you say to a person who is weighing that battle right now?
1: Yeah. Well, I think first of all, um, I think you need to get some good godly counsel. You, you need to find some godly, one or two godly friends that come alongside of you. And you need to break the power of the secret in your life. There, there's something about confessing our faults one to another that enables a healing process to begin. And for me, the beginning stage of all that I am today started when, by God's grace, I broke the power of, of the secret in my life and said I am no longer going to live with this fearing it will always haunt me in the rearview mirror of my life. I'm going to get ahead of this, I'm going to repent and turn and I, and, I, and so I did. I went and, and I basically went to a couple of friends, poured my heart out, confessed, and from that point on they helped to guide me through the initial process. I think you have to realize you have to count the cost. And when you count the cost, it's not worth it to keep on. Mm -hmm. Even though you're going to have friends that won't understand, it may initially hurt people you dearly love. I mean, for me, it was was very painful for the people I love, my children, to have to go to them. I got down on my knees in front of my children and confessed to them and begged them to forgive me. My children became my biggest cheerleaders, not because they were proud of me, but they were proud of the fact that their dad had the courage to come forward and acknowledge and ask them for forgiveness. And, you know, I didn't know what, what they'd turn on me and hate me forever, but, hmm. but my girls, they did. They became my biggest cheerleaders. And, you know, and, and to this day, we can talk about it because the, the secret was broken So I think you have to count the cost and realize the people who truly love you, the people who truly love you, they will keep loving you. You may lose your fans, but you're not going to lose real friends and people who love you. And that's really who you're going to need in this restoration process.
0: That's a great way to end right right there. I like that. Where can people find you online and just describe in a nutshell what's your podcast about and what can people expect if they subscribe
1: yeah well the podcast is entitled hope along the journey and again i it's a ministry of inspiration and encouragement for people who are hungering for hope
0: and who and, people who want to hear a cincinnati reds baseball announcer <laughs> voice
1: and this one belongs to the reds right um <laughs> uh, and, you know, and so if so, I, I bring on the podcast, I'm, I bring people that have messages of hope. I bring I, I did an interview with with a, a blind man, young blind man named Jesse Keep, tremendous young man who is a he is now a, a budding Christian music um, musician, writer, and he hasn't let his he has not let his blindness hold him back. And he is living a full life. So I bring people on that have a story of hope to tell people who've lost loved ones. I've got people battling lined up who bad are battling cancer and people who've Mm. overcome alcohol addictions. I've got so to come yet. I've got a whole lineup of people who, who had tremendous odds stacked against them. And yet they found hope along the journey. Mm. And so that's, that's what they're going to find as they listen, they're going to find stories of inspiration. And from time to time, I'll be sharing more and more of my story, probably.
0: Mark Ravens, thank you so much for taking some time to come on the podcast. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Ezra. I appreciate it. God bless you. You've done a great job.
0: Well, I just appreciate Pastor Mark coming on and sharing so openly about his story, his journey. Uh, and I hope that it was of help to you, especially if you're going through a tough time. And check out his podcast, Hope Along the Journey. It's a great listen. Uh, He has a lot of uh, excellent guests on the podcast as well that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Until next time, my name's Ezra Byer. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's
1: word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.